This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Weekend update with Norm MacDonald. Thank you. I'm Norm MacDonald, and now, the fake news. <laughs> Christy Brinkley told reporters this week that her marriage to Billy Joel was over long before their divorce. The key moment, she said, came when she realized that she was Christy Brinkley and that she was married to Billy Joel. In late June 2020, Norm MacDonald, the stand-up comedian best known for his years manning the weekend update desk for SNL, called his longtime producing partner and next-door neighbor, Lori Joe Hoekstra, and blurted, Lojo, I want to shoot it tonight. The two had worked together for more than two decades, and there was a comfortable shorthand between them, so Lori knew exactly what he was talking about, responding simply, oh boy, before getting to work on preparations to shoot a comedy special for Netflix. This was no small feat. After all, this was the height of the global COVID lockdown, and the entertainment industry was still trying to figure out just how to function and produce content in a work-from-home world. The notion of shooting a comedy special in a club or theater in front of an audience was unthinkable at the time, and it was months before outdoor events and so-called bubbles to manage the risks of live events became more commonplace. And even then, such productions required lots of planning and a bigger budget than Norm had for the special. But Laurie could tell by Norm's voice that there was a real urgency to his request. Although he could be impulsive at times, his legendary gambling addiction once cost him $400,000 and he readily admitted to squandering his fortune three separate times in his life, Norm took his stand-up career and legacy very seriously. He combined his incredible innate talent on stage, complete with his trademark delivery and impish smile, with an almost preternatural, at times bordering on masochistic fearlessness about bombing in front of an audience, to produce some of the most memorable moments in comedy history. She knew his call meant he was ready with the material and they needed to move quickly. The timing was critical. Lori was one of a small handful of people, including close family members and his agent, who knew about Norm MacDonald's big secret. He was battling cancer. In 2013, Norm had been diagnosed with multiple myeloma, a blood cancer that is rarely noticed early on, but causes bone pain, anemia, kidney dysfunction, and inhibits the body's ability to fight infections. He chose to wage the battle out of the public eye, fearing it would affect the way he was perceived. Like all comedians, Norm depended on the audience's mood staying light and jovial, which he believed was essential to them enjoying his irreverent brand of comedy. He didn't want to be pitied or have the audience thinking about his health struggles during a set. Still, the diagnosis could not be ignored, so Norm moved to Arizona in an attempt to disappear from public view while receiving several stem cell treatments using his brother Neil's blood plasma. He used aliases to check in at the hospital, most commonly Stan Hooper as a nod to his character from his short-lived sitcom, to avoid news of his condition leaking to the media. And the aliases were mostly effective, save for some speculation about his health when one of the drugs he was taking for treatment, called dexamethasone, caused the usually thin comedian to gain weight. The treatments also seemed to be working, and the cancer went into remission shortly after his initial diagnosis, although Norm did have to give up golf and tennis as a result of some nerve damage after the treatments. But the cancer returned in 2020, and it unfortunately spread to the bone marrow, which can lead to a more deadly, acute form of leukemia. The prognosis was grim, and McDonald, who initially believed he'd survived the ordeal, 
process the news in the only way he knew how, by productively channeling his energy into finishing the material for what would become his final special. Which is why Lori went into overdrive trying to pull off the impossible when she received the call from him about filming the Netflix special that June. She knew Norm had a procedure scheduled to have another stem cell transplant at the City of Hope Medical Center just east of Los Angeles. And Norm wanted something recorded before going in just in case things went south. She quickly set up a few cameras, pulled together some makeshift lighting, figured out the audio, and shot the special in her condo. Norm, clean-shaven, wearing a pair of clunky headphones over a hat with a blue sport coat over a pink golf shirt, then delivered 54 minutes of brand new material in a nearly empty room. It's like no other special, at once a product of the pandemic and a final love note to McDonald's most ardent fans. Hoekstra would say, quote, it really features his secret weapon, those eyes and those dimples, and his inner light is beaming as strongly as it ever did. It just didn't look like a man who was diminished in any way. It's a point easily understood when you hear the special. Sometimes doctors just no smart words. You ever see those guys, you know? Like one time I remember I was real tired. I had this thing, I didn't know what it was. So I went in and I said, hey doc, I got this thing, man, I'm real tired. He goes, sounds like chronic fatigue syndrome to me. I said, really, what's that? He says, well, chronic means always, and uh, fatigue means tired, and uh, syndrome, that means uh, something you got. Anyway, you can pay Agnes 80 bucks on the way out. Despite sounding as vibrant and sharp as ever on the special, just a little more than a year later, Norm MacDonald passed away at the hospital on September 14th, 2021. He was only 61 years old. I'm Derek Kaufman. I'm Jason Beckerman. And this is Last Days, Norm MacDonald. After recording this special, Norm's health status briefly turned for the better, and the comedian was able to put on some weight and gain some strength. Of course, he poured all of his restored energy into his work. He banged out a rough screenplay for a movie adaptation of his critically acclaimed comic novel called Based on a True Story, a memoir. He started booking stand-up gigs again, although the pandemic lockdown continued to frustrate his efforts to find live audiences and venues. Still, he planned to return to one of his old favorite clubs, Caroline's on Broadway, in November 2021. He even booked a few private gigs. Colin Quinn would later say, quote, He booked a gig with me in August to do some casinos, and we texted each other. I would have loved to have just filmed him and just interviewed him, and not about anything personal, because he didn't like that. When you watch little segments with him, he's just one of those guys you want to hear talk. But in July 2021, about a year after filming the Netflix special, McDonald returned to the hospital for what was supposed to be just another outpatient round of chemotherapy. He would never leave. Due to the pandemic, doctors wanted him to stay overnight, and McDonald developed an infection. His condition made ordinary infections much more serious because his immune system was seriously compromised by the blood cancer. He would go on to spend the last six weeks of his life at the City of Hope Hospital. According to Hoekstra, Norm didn't talk much of dying and seemed to believe he'd recover and continue working. In late July, he even recorded a voiceover for Seth MacFarlane's show, The Orville, while in the hospital, using a private room and turning off beeping monitors and hospital intercoms so nobody could tell where he was zooming in from. And just a month before he passed, he told Hoekstra he wanted to watch the special he recorded. So she brought the footage to the hospital where he watched from his bed and even gave her notes. And then he was gone. The news struck many of his closest friends as surreal. He'd done such an incredible job of keeping everyone in the dark about his health struggles that nobody was prepared for the loss. 
As with the shock from Bob Saget's sudden death just a few months later, the outpouring of grief from the close-knit community of stand-ups and SNL alums showed the impact of his decision to wage the battle privately. You know, Jason, when someone announces a battle with cancer, it really gives everyone a chance to confront the prospect of the loss before it actually happens. You know, Norm was absolutely right that it would change the way people interacted with him and perceive him as a person. But it's not entirely clear to me that it's a good thing that he kept it private. You know, he certainly didn't want to be pitied and he depended on those good vibes. And that's why he decided to wage this in the private fashion he did for the good of his comedy. But that deeply personal decision to keep it a secret does come with a cost uh, of never getting to fully see and hear how much people love you. Nobody gets to hear their own eulogy. Yeah, Norm's a, an interesting guy, right? Norm's yeah. a, a different guy. He does, he's not wired like most people, even among the sort of weird set of comedians. Comedians are, are an interesting sort of people to begin with. Norm was an outlier in that he was more sort of idiosyncratic. He was more private. He was, uh, his type of comedy was so soft and, and, and deadpan that he was just a different guy altogether. And so, yes. He was I, odd. I, he I didn't agree. wear the neuroses like many comedians do sort of publicly. Yes. He was odd. He, he missed out, uh, as you said, on a lot of those sort of well wishes from people in his dying days and his, and his frankly, in the years before he died. But that's, I think, as Colin Quinn said, that's the kind of guy he was. He just didn't, it made him very uncomfortable when people got inside and he didn't like to have that happen, which is why so few people knew about the, about the diagnosis. It's absolutely right. And he wasn't a man without close friends. I mean, Conan O'Brien and Andy Richter were very close with Norm MacDonald. They had him on their show countless times. They talk endlessly about loving to book him because it always made for a very funny show. And they touched on this idea of him, his decision to keep it private uh, just a couple days after Norm's death. I've had this gnawing regret uh, this last day and a half, and it's reading all this praise for Norm, which again, I, I believe is completely justified yeah. and, and will endure. Um, and it's been a regret that um, he, had, he didn't get to experience this. You know, he took so much flack in his career he took so much shit, um, and yes, he knew that he had fans, but uh, I wish, you know, it's a common wish for people, but I wish he had been able to read the stuff that's being mm -hmm. written about him. I wish he knew how beloved he is, and also um, how uh, in awe comedians are yeah. of, of, of what he did and what he meant and how... Um, you know how important he was to the people who are probably the most important people in the world to him. Yeah, everyone, but especially comedians, were effusive in their praise for Norm Macdonald. As cliche as it sounds, Jason, he was truly the definition of a comedian's comedian. He didn't traffic in simple humor or low-hanging fruit. You know, Jim Carrey tweeted after his death, "Quote: My dear friend Norm Macdonald passed after a brave ten-year battle. He was one of our most precious gems, an honest and courageous comedy genius." I love him. Seth Meyers, late night host and himself a veteran of the Weekend Update desk, shared a fitting tribute to one of his comedy icons, retelling his favorite Norm joke from the famed Update chair. Uh, I always think about uh, this. I, I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure I got it right. This is my favorite Weekend Update joke of all time that I think about often. It is a perfect Norm joke. The richest girl in the world, billionaire Athena Onassis, celebrated her 10th birthday. This week, what's it like 
to be the richest girl in the world? Well, to give you some idea, at the party, they had two cakes. <laughs> Even his comedy targets, Jason, like Senator Bob Dole, who Norm hilariously portrayed as a third-person talking, monotone old man on SNL during the 1996 presidential campaign, had this to say. He said, quote, Norm was a great talent, and I love laughing with him on SNL. Bob Dole will miss Norm MacDonald, which I thought was such Reference a fitting tribute. Norm MacDonald uh, portraying Bob Dole as always speaking in the third per oh, in, the, in the third person about himself. It was brilliant. You know, yeah. Bob Dole was in on the joke, and that's how Norm did the impression. He wasn't sort of just mocking him, and Bob Dole knew that. And, and So and you and I both like comedy, but you're really into it. You love comedy specials. You watch them all. You taught me, you told me that Norm MacDonald was a comedian's comedian. He was one of the most beloved guys within that circle of comic geniuses, all the SNL guys, the Saggots of the world, all those guys of similar age. He was the one that they may have revered more than anyone else. I think that's right. I mean, any conversation about Norm MacDonald is going to turn reverential at some point because he does stand in sort of the Mount Rushmore. Idiosyncratically, he's my favorite comedian. I always sort of cite him as my favorite stand-up of all time. But for all comedians, he's widely respected. And anecdotally, you know, we've had this email address people can send in ideas for about what who they want to hear us talk about. Nobody's been more referenced more often than Norm MacDonald. It's been, uh, you know, a dozen or so people have written in saying Norm MacDonald, Norm MacDonald. We finally got around to it. And I, I think we see why. He was so beloved. He, again, so idiosyncratic, so different, but everybody finds him really, really funny and interesting. That's exactly right. Let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll come back and talk more about Norm's legacy. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, and Walmart, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. So download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Any conversation about Norm MacDonald has to start with stand-up comedy, even if his cultural cachet extended beyond the relatively insular world of dimly lit, smoke-filled comedy clubs into the realm of sketch comedy with SNL. Hollywood movies like Dirty Work and even popular fast food institutions like KFC, it all started with stand-up. He started off performing in his native Canada, taking gigs at various comedy clubs in Ottawa and regularly appearing at a place called Yuck Yucks by the mid-80s. He honed his dry style of observational comedy during these early years and eventually hit the stage on Star Search in 1990. I'm feeling great. Uh, I finally quit smoking, you know, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. I, uh, I smoked ever since I was a kid, so it's kind of tough for me, you know. I remember once I was eight years old, a little kid behind my garage, sneaking a cigarette back there, and my dad caught me. He hauled me in. I thought I was in for the strapping of my life, you know. What he did is he pulled out a big cigar. Must have been half the size of my arm, this giant cigar. Stuck it in my mouth, lit it up, made me smoke it all the way through, right to the end. That's when I started smoking cigars real heavy. 
What really stands out, Derek, about all these early performances is how fully realized his voice was at such an early stage in his career. You can listen to him then and you hear the same guy that we then heard for the next 30 years. It's incredible because so many comedians on those star search, they really develop over time. You can yeah. look at like Jim Carrey he was much zanier and, and he sort of honed the craft. But Norm was Norm it from was, the beginning. It wasn't raw and experimental, right? It was crisp. His persona was there. It was locked in right from the start. He became a fixture on late night shows. David Letterman, known for having one of the keenest eyes for comedic talent, would say, quote, if we could have, we would have Norm on every week. Conan O'Brien echoed that sentiment, giving Norm time for a set and often extending his appearances for long sessions on the interview couch. This is time usually reserved for bigger celebrities promoting their movies and television projects. But you could just tell that Letterman and Conan liked hanging out with him and being with Norm, who was consistently hilarious and just fun to be around. And man, was he prolific, offering different material virtually every time he took the stage. Many comedians will find their favorite set and run it into the ground, performing it again and again to new audiences. Norm was among that small handful of very best, like Chappelle, Louis C.K., and others, who consistently worked on and performed new material. And like those guys, even Norm's late career stuff was absolutely brilliant. There is one country that worries me, though. Not Iraq, not Iran, not North Korea. The only country that really worries me is uh, the country of Germany. I don't know if you guys are history buffs or not, but... Uh... <laughs> In the early uh, part of the previous century, Germany decided to go to war. And uh, who did they go to war with? The world. <laughs> That had never been tried before. <laughs> and uh, so you figure that would take about five seconds for the world to win, but uh, no, it was actually close. But to focus on just the quality of the jokes doesn't really capture what made Norm MacDonald so special to other comedians. It really was his experimental nature and fearlessness that turned him into a legend of the form and an icon for a whole generation of comedians that followed him. But those words, experimental and fearless, are thrown around a lot in comedy. Uh, and it's given to a lot of comedians who really can't back it up. But I wanted to spend the rest of this episode showing you exactly how Norm MacDonald backed up those two labels that he got. And I wanted to start with his fearlessness. First, at the height of his fame as SNL's Weekend Update correspondent, Norm MacDonald was famously replaced by Colin Quinn in 1998 for telling too many jokes like this about O.J. Simpson. According to retailers, the most popular Halloween mask this year is O.J. Simpson. And the most popular Halloween greeting is, I'll kill you and that guy who's bringing over your glasses or treat. <laughs> now, you have to imagine this. So, he was warned not to tell these jokes, Jason. Uh, he has maybe the best gig in, in all of comedy because week in and week out, you're just writing jokes about headlines. It's where you want to be in comedy. And you also he, get paid a lot of money compared to most comedians who struggle through. You He's get getting paid, paid a, a fortune on, on SNL for 20 minutes a night. 20 10, minutes, 10 maybe, minutes a night. Maybe. Yeah. And he just wanted to do these jokes. He felt they were very funny. They were very topical. And he didn't want to be dissuaded from doing so. You can see the compilations on YouTube if you're ever curious. The story went that Don Olmeyer, president of NBC's West Coast Division, had McDonald removed because he was good friends with O.J. and was sick of McDonald calling him a murderer week in and week out. Olmeyer always denied these rumors. He claimed McDonald was removed for declining ratings and a drop off in quality, but Norm never bought it and thought Olmeyer used his power to get revenge on him for many, many years, even pulling ads from his movies and hurting his chances at booking future projects. 
Norm would later soften a bit. He conceded that his version of Weekend Update, which many fans consider the best version, wasn't audience-pleasing, saying he saw Olmeyer's point, because why would you want some dude who's not trying to please the audience? His writing partner, Jim Downey, would echo this later in interviews, saying Norm would often take jokes that bombed during dress rehearsal (laughs) and do them on the live show anyway because he believed in them and not caring if the audience found them funny or not. Still, the old Meyer episode bolstered McDonald in comedy circles as a guy who was willing to put his comedic principles ahead of his career prospects. Another great example of that fearlessness, Norm would follow up his SNL incident with an appearance as a host of the ESPY Awards in 1998 that instantly became the stuff of comedy legend. At the time, the awards were only six years old, and it was considered a somewhat tame event with inoffensive jokes. Coddled athletes with big egos can be a little bit thin-skinned, so the choice to have Norm MC the event was a risk. The point was to celebrate amazing feats and accomplishments in sports in a glossy award show, sort of like the Oscars for athletes. Norm, still dealing with the OJ fallout from SNL, blew that all up with his monologue, telling a series of jokes that left the athletes' jaws on the floor, including this one. Yeah, he'll be having sex with the ESPYs in about 12 years. So, I was a little late here tonight. I took a cab to the theater, folks. And I don't know if you've ever been in these New York City cabs, but uh, I got one of those cabbies, couldn't speak English, you know? Saw his name there on the, on the dash. I couldn't even pronounce it. I think it was something like uh, Hideki Arabu. I'm like that. Jason, have you ever seen the clip? I mean, it's got all the greats from that era. You've got Ken Griffey Jr.'s jaws just yeah. dropping as he is just slain. It's one of the funniest clips that exists on the internet. In this time, we've become far more irreverent. We don't we don't sort of have the same principled homage to, that we pay to celebs. And so now these things like the Ricky Gervais of the world, right. you know, it's okay to go on and just tear celebs to shreds. We we they're they're richer and more famous and more talented than we all are. So it's okay to make fun of him. But at the time, he was breaking new ground and there were a lot of athletes who did not like it. They had never been taking a task to their faces like this that you got to go watch the video. It is, it's really fantastic. In typical Norm fashion, he leaned into the controversy over the OJ jokes, further cementing his status as the most courageous big name comic on the scene. And now I want to shift to talking about his experimental nature because there's a lot of comedians who are okay with pushing the envelope and are called fearless. But he also sort of changed the form of comedy in a lot of meaningful ways. First, Norm was always playing with the form uh, of comedy and remained completely unwilling to just mail it in with the same tired jokes and style. I've said this about how he always turned in new material. And in some ways, he seemed more tickled by bombing on stage than getting laughs. His performance at the 2008 Comedy Central roast of Bob Saget is probably the best example of this. The show had become a sort of arms race at the time, with comedians one-upping each other to say the raciest, raunchiest, and most offensive comments they could come up with. Norm could have easily played this game, but instead, he took the stage and delivered lines like this. As you can see, he has wavy hair. It's waving goodbye on account he's going bald. No, I think that, uh, that Bob should join the Ku Klux Klan. And that's not because he's racist. He's not racist. It's just that he'd look a lot better with a hood over his head on account of his face. So, Jason, rather than provide more of the same and just get 
as raunchy as possible and say nasty things about B. Arthur. I mean, the roasts are very funny. <laughs> I don't want to take anything away from what Jeff Ross has done with the roasts. They're incredible. Apparently, they're a lot of fun to watch. B. Arthur, though. <laughs> Some of the best jokes dry, are at drive by B. Arthur. But instead of doing this, he just blew up the entire form. He delivered a slew of wholesome dad jokes and avuncular one-liners to a smattering of sort of confused looks, polite chuckles. It was so out of place that it seemed oddly aggressive in its own way and has become one of his most legendary moments of experimental comedy. And second, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up, and perhaps his most successful experiment was Norm's version of a joke called The Moth. Look, it's too long to play here and needs to be heard in its entirety, but here's a snippet. A moth goes into a podiatrist's office. A moth goes into a podiatrist's office. Right. You are correct. <laughs> a moth goes into a podiatrist's office, mm-hmm. and uh, the podiatrist's office says, what's the problem? And the moth says, what's the problem? Where do I begin, man? He goes, I go to work for uh, Gregory Olinovich, and uh, all day long I work. Honestly, Doc, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I don't even know if Gregory Olinovich knows. He only knows that he has power over me, and that seems to bring him happiness. The story behind it was that Norm needed to fill an entire segment after a commercial break, but had nothing further prepared for Conan that night. So he stretched a 20-second joke he heard from Colin Quinn and turned it into a seven-minute tour de force, complete with a Chekhov play (laughs) reference with sadness and Russian character names. And in the process, he blew up the whole concept of brevity being the soul of wit. The only thing that matters is the journey of the joke because the punchline of the moth is completely hokey. And it's just absolutely brilliant. And it's 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 the probably the biggest example of why he stands out to me as as the greatest comedian of all time. Although his devotion to the craft of comedy was sincere, Norm wasn't some fussy artist completely removed from the real world. He certainly enjoyed some of the trappings of success, including high stakes gambling and celebrity golf games. He also enjoyed his fair share of commercial success, starring in the cult comedy classic Dirty Work in 1998, making a couple of attempts at becoming a sitcom star with The Norm Show and A Minute with Stan Hooper, and even scored a memorable spot as in KFC Pitchman. Here are some slides from my research trip down in Nashville. Now, here I am at the airport. Here I am trying classic Nashville hot chicken with its spicy, smoky flavor. Here I am thinking, man, this would be great with my crispy hand-prepared chicken. Here I am writing down the recipe. And here I am with KFC's new Nashville hot chicken, straight from Nashville for a limited time only. But none of it seemed to matter as much to Norm as his devotion to telling jokes. His last significant effort was a podcast called Norm MacDonald Live with his sidekick, Adam Egit. It wasn't a huge success, but the project was a great showcase of Norm and his element. He would tell offbeat jokes, talk to guests that interested him like David Letterman and country star Billy Joel Shaver, and seemed to relish just being himself and laughing with a buddy. In his interview with Letterman, he even got briefly philosophical talking about death, but even did that in a characteristically Norm way. You've been thinking about your mortality a lot lately? Well, yeah, I mean, you turn 70 and uh, uh, you can't run from it. Ah, fuck, I was hoping you could. (laughs) (laughs) When I have my uh, funeral, you know, and you know most of these funerals, uh, crying and uh, sad and everything like that, and uh, uh, 
that's what I like, you know? I don't want, <laughs> I've heard of other ones, let's have a party. Ah, ah. Mm -hmm. Whoa, whoa. No party. There'll be a lot of party days later. <laughs> but right now, this is, I'm dead. <laughs> but he wasn't always going for the laugh when it came to the subject of death. Towards the end of his life, he sat down for an interview with Larry King, and the topic of death came up. Norm had hilariously portrayed Larry King on SNL, but there was a clear warmth and respect between the two men. Now that both men have passed, their exchange about the topic of their own deaths has taken on a new poignancy. Yeah, well, I have a fear of not existing. Yes, but you know, the writer Nabokov said that he saw a picture one time, and it was a picture of before he was born. And it was a picture of his mother with his brother and sister that were older than him, but he had not been born yet. And he said when he saw that picture, there was no terror in him, even though he was looking at a picture where he didn't exist. But he didn't know anything, so. Right, he didn't, but to, looking at that picture didn't terrify him that he didn't exist. So he said, it, it won't terrify me afterwards. Because I won't know. Yeah, because but you won't die. That, but the knowing that I won't know. Now that, that's that, yeah, that's, that's what right. drives yeah, me. Yeah, of course, right. I know I won't know. So yeah, no. If you were a, like if you were a dog or a cat, <laughs> here we go. They got it all figured out. Well, Martin Short said, when you slept last night, you could have been dead, right? Mm -hmm. So if you didn't wake up this morning, how would you know? Jason, uh, as I've mentioned before, this episode's very personal to me because Norm MacDonald is without a doubt my favorite stand-up comedian of all time, as I said. It's not even really that close. I don't think putting him on a Mount Rushmore of my other favorites even makes much sense because my personal comedy mountain would be just his face with that impish little smirk. I think Conan said it best when he said, selfishly, I don't feel badly for Norm. I feel badly for all of us. And because he's so singular and inimitable, in my estimation, I didn't think it would make any sense to close this episode with someone else's voice talking about Norm. I just wanted to end with Norm at his best, talking about the craft of comedy with another comedian, Mark Marin, and describing what, to him, would make for the ever-elusive perfect joke. Like on Update, I was always saying, I, think, I always thought, I said the perfect joke would be if the punchline and the, um, and the setup were almost identical. Yeah. And then we, I was saying, can we ever get a joke like that? That would be the coolest. And then, we actually did get one joke that was pretty close to that, not perfect, but it was uh, Lyle Lovett is um, Lyle Lovett and uh, and uh, Julie Roberts are getting a divorce, and uh, uh, you know people close to the couple say the reason is because uh, he's Lyle Lovett and she's Julie Roberts. <laughs> so it was pretty close. You know, the setup and the punchline were pretty close to each other. I was happy with that. That one. was the Grail. <laughs> yeah, that was the Grail. <laughs>